Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, my guest is Daniel McAdams. Daniel is the executive director of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity and co-host of the Ron Paul Liberty Report. He served in Ron Paul's congressional office in Washington as a foreign affairs and defense advisor. Daniel, welcome to the show. Tom, thanks for having me on. It's great to be with you. I know the Ron Paul Liberty Report has done quite a bit on COVID and that nightmare that's been unfolding over the last 18 months. But the main thrust of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity has been foreign policy and informing people of how terrible our foreign policy is. <laughs> but now that we've ended the war in Afghanistan, the troops are coming home. Uh, that peace dividend, I'm sure, is on the way in our taxes. Uh, what are you guys going to do over there after it's mission accomplished? Tom, I've just been drinking champagne constantly since the troops came home. I mean, the <laughs> war is over if you want it. So, you know, I've been soused for a couple of months now, celebrating the end of the war. But in all seriousness, um, as Dr. Paul said in a speech a couple of days ago, uh, you know, yeah, we pulled a couple of thousand troops out of Afghanistan. But we're, we're, you know, remaining in Afghanistan, CIA, special forces, uh, different kinds of contractors. So we're not really out of Afghanistan in that sense of things. However, you know, the U.S. presence is, is, is being overtaken by events in that part of the world because, A, the U.S. has no idea uh, uh, what it's like in that part of the world. They have no idea how to run the place. They have no idea about the local culture. The only thing they do know are corrupt officials that run these places. So it's a de facto um, uh, escape, a slow motion escape from that part of the world. And, you know, uh, Afghanistan will be looking for more traditional allies. And, and to, the, to the shock of the U.S., Iran will play a role because it's a neighbor and so on and so on. So, yeah, we're out. The war's not over. Uh, it's just been moved somewhere else, really. I remember the disclaimer that Biden uh, threw out there when he was doing a victory lap over something he had very little to do with. And his part wasn't done very well. But um, he, he said, we're still going to be conducting over the horizon 
operations. That just means bombing them, right? Yeah, there was an over-the-horizon operation that killed an entire family, right? The kids and their cousins were rushing out to meet daddy as daddy came home from work, and boom, they were vaporized. So that's over-the-horizon. I guess that sounds better than killing kids, but that's that's basically what it is. And the thing is, Tom, you know, you know, I'm pretty critical of Biden, you know, nonstop, although I don't blame him for everything because I sometimes wonder. However, it did take some political courage for him to go through this withdrawal, even if it's not as complete as we'd like, because there's nothing Washington would have liked more than to have him, quote, stay there. It's too early to leave. It's only been 20 years. So he deserves some credit for taking some significant political risk on pulling out. And it really pisses me off to see, you know, the R's out there just looking for any way to undermine him and going ahead and adopting the idiotic uh, neocon idea that, you know, if we only were in Vietnam a little longer, we would have won, you know. So, yeah, he gets credit and the opposition to him, uh, no matter what party, is, is basically corrupt. You know, there was an interesting thing that kind of goes along with what you just said. And yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, of course, you know, we in the liberty movement don't really care who happens to be in the chair at the White House because so little changes. Um, you know, when Trump was in there, the, the foreign policy was a little less frenetic. Um, there were some bad episodes. He didn't start a new war and he seemed to back off a little. He had the truce with the uh, Taliban. And I guess, you know, the one thing about that, nobody seems to give any credit that terrorist attacks were greatly reduced. I can't remember one during the ceasefire with the Taliban. Were there any or am I remembering incorrectly? Well, they did keep up their end of the bargain. You know, they had every incentive to do so. They were able to they were able to squash a lot of these attacks. The only attacks that you really saw were ISIS because ISIS, uh, you know, was was also against the Taliban. Ironically, what a shocker. They were on our side uh, in Afghanistan, more or less, as they as they were in Syria, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, the Taliban kept their part of the deal. There was there was no incentive for them to break it. Uh, it was the U.S., in fact, that broke the deal because Biden said, no, we're not going to leave by May. Um, as as Trump agreed with you guys, we're going to do it on our own terms. We're going to have a big to do on the anniversary of 9-11. And we'll get out there, which is kind of dumb. The optics are kind of stupid. But guess what? It was overtaken by events because as soon as the corrupt uh, U.S.-backed president uh, escaped, you know, and, uh, you know, the reports are he had to throw a few bundles of $100 bills off of his plane because it was too heavy or his helicopter because it was too heavy. As soon as he uh, as soon as he made a run for it with the loot, obviously uh, the entire Potemkin village of 20 years of U.S. nation building was laid bare for the world to see. And it wasn't very pretty. Yeah, I've been using that. I, I don't mean to be um, insensitive, but, you know, we've been we were there for 20 years, uh, trillions of dollars, thousands of American lives, hundreds of thousands of foreign lives, most of which were not terrorists or enemy combatants. And we've got nothing out of it. Zero. And, and I think people should be shocked about that. Uh, just, wow, how did this ever happen? But really, when you look at anything the government does, the war on drugs, it's 50 years old. What's the government's own words for its results? We have an opioid epidemic. I mean, that's their words for how they've done <laughs> in 50 years in the war on drugs. 
Um, so wherever you look, it, it's really a debacle. And what I was going to mention before, um, a lot of people may be familiar with, um, you know, the, the movie JFK, and they, they refer in the movie to a report that McNamara did uh, after he went over to Vietnam. I dug that up a few weeks ago, and I just thought of it now. I don't have it handy. But in the report that he made to the president, there's actually language to the effect of, look, we do want to get out of here, but we just got to make sure that the South Vietnamese army is trained well enough to keep the communists from taking over. We just got to accomplish that before we go. And I was reading it and I just couldn't believe that nothing ever changes. Uh, Exactly. And that was the exact thing in Afghanistan. And your statement is accurate. Um, we didn't get anything for it, but there were a lot of people that got a lot for it. You know, the people that were involved in every aspect of this debacle, they got rich. There are a lot of mansions around McLean and inside the Beltway and in Clifton that were built on this war. And that's what it's all about. The whole thing, as we know from Smedley Butler, the whole thing was a racket from day one. We didn't train anyone. There were something like 300,000 Afghan soldiers in ghost brigades. They never showed up to work uh, because they didn't exist. Uh, you know, and the thing is, everyone is acting like it's a surprise that we just left all this crap there and didn't achieve anything. But anyone who followed the special inspector general for Afghan reconstructions reports over the years, this is probably the only um, U.S. government official uh, who is a decent person. Uh, in terms of in terms of really doing the, the work of the people, because he painstakingly documented the incredible waste, theft, uh, you know, you name it for 20. You know, well, he, he wasn't he was I think it was in the mid 2000s that he was appointed. I could be wrong on the date. But regardless of that, he, he did such a terrific job documenting this absolute disaster not in terms of policy, but in terms of, of money as well. So no, it shouldn't have been a surprise, but of course, you know, nobody wants to dig up this stuff, you know? Well, let me give some kudos to your boss too there. Uh, I dug up an article from, some, I don't know, it was 2011, 2012, something like that. It was the, it was right after the Taliban opened an office in maybe Qatar. I, I can't remember one of the Middle Eastern countries where they, they started negotiating with the American government. And Dr. Paul wrote something to the effect of this looks a lot more like a like a victory, you know, than it does um, <laughs> that they're negotiating a surrender. And he predicted they would be in charge when it was over. And here we are 10 years later, exactly what he predicted. So, of course, if somebody listened to him back then, um, you know, we could have saved the last 10 years and who knows how, how many lives and, and those trillions of dollars. Yeah, he also said in a speech 10 years ago that if we don't do something now to get out of Afghanistan, we're going to be there for 10 more years. And at the time, he meant it as an exaggeration. But it turned out to be to be pretty accurate, you know, but I mean, anyone who, who really wants to objectively look at the world and unfortunately in the U.S., foreign policy analysis is not. It's, not, it's more like fantasy land than, than being objective. Anyone who objectively looks at the rest of the world, they would see the world as they see their own country. You know, uh, you know, of course, everyone, you know, many people are intoxicated by this idea that the rest of the world just can't wait to be exactly like us. And all they need is our help to do that. Well, of course, that's a fantasy. Uh, it's a fallacy. 
And unfortunately, there are, you know, there are millions of bodies that are buried under that fantasy. The fact of the matter is the Afghans had been pushed around and ruled uh, by proxy for a number of years. You know, the Soviets came in, uh, the Americans came in. So it should be no surprise that left to their own devices, they would prefer to be ruled by a group that is indigenous, uh, that has no uh, th that has no obvious sponsors abroad, uh, that is not a puppet government, because that's just a natural state that people want to be in, in their own country. But of course, people do act shocked. Oh my gosh, the Taliban is in power. It really shouldn't shock anyone uh, that this is how it ended up. The only shocking thing is that so many people had to die and so much money had to be wasted for the inevitable to finally happen. Yeah, it's funny. They call us libertarians, utopians, but <laughs> I, mean, I think that we're the realists to think, you know, the, the, the unfortunate truth is the Taliban has a lot of support and they come out with these stories about women who enjoyed more freedom while we were there. Uh, of course, you're going to find some stories like that. There are women in um, Afghanistan who support the very traditional Muslim lifestyle. And, you know, I'm not here to judge that either way. I know we make things worse when we blow up weddings and hospitals. I mean, that that would just seem like an, an easy conclusion to come to. But, the, you know, as you said, these people, there's no sense of reality. There's no and there's no learning from mistakes either. Well, one thing I wanted to just mention, and it's, it's funny how off topic it might seem, but I'm a big fan of the Sherlock Holmes story. So about every five years, I, I get out the books and I read them all. Uh, I just can't stop until I get to the end. Well, the very first one that was written in 1887, this is the, the, the book, the short story where Watson meets Holmes, right? And mm -hmm. Watson is just coming home from Afghanistan during, you know, the British empire in 1887. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's <laughs> like nothing ever changes. Nobody learns. I mean, we all called it the graveyard of empires before we went in there and uh, nobody ever learns. But I, I want to ask you about the money. So I've got the department or the uh, White House budget here, and I'm on the defense page. And for 2021, um, they, they say that they spent $703 billion on defense. Now, this is that the war is over, right? And next year, they're going to spend $715 billion how can you end a war and the defense budget keeps going up? What, what are they spending this money on? Well, the first thing I would, I would revert back to the old Ron Paul thing. It's not a defense budget. It's a military budget, right? Um, if it were a defense budget, it would be defending the U.S. And thankfully, by, by virtue of our geography, we don't have a lot of threats. So we really don't need to have a military budget, you know, maybe 10% or less of what we have. But it's not about defending the country. But, you know, it is a great point. Here's our peace dividend. The peace dividend, you know, instead of coming back into our pockets, uh, goes again to the pockets of the of the contractors inside the Beltway, of the think tanks, of the well-connected. Uh, and so that's just that's just how it is. that time of the year again when we're all looking for something special to give friends and loved ones for the holidays. Unfortunately, the government and its bank have worked especially hard this year at doing what they do best, make things more expensive for the rest of us. Well, I have great news. You can get a free copy of my new ebook, An Anti-State Christmas, 
That's my gift to you and appreciation for listening. But that's not all. I've also made the book available as a paperback at an incredibly low price, so you can get a few copies to give as gifts. It makes a great stocking stuffer. And don't worry, this is not some preachy libertarian treatise. It's full of fun and even includes a special Christmas beverage recipe. Get more information and your free ebook at antistatechristmas.com. We help each other when we don't mean to. That's what we call the invisible hand. Something no politician understands. Just leave it up to supply and demand and follow the I remember a couple years ago, so you know, Congress discovered that we have thousands of troops of, in Africa. Do you have any idea <laughs> yeah. what we're doing in Africa? Do they have any idea what they're doing in Africa? Well, what we're doing is the opposite of what the Chinese do, right? I mean, there's a lot of China bashing going on, uh, and there are some good stuff to criticize in China. I don't happen to like their social credit system. Unfortunately, we're adopting all their bad stuff and right. ignoring all their good stuff. The Chinese are over in Africa. They're making deals. They're getting minerals. They're, they're doing business. Uh, what, what do we send over? Not businessmen. We send over the military. So every little coup, uh, every little thing you have, you see right now, there's a, there's a lot of problems in Sudan. There was a, a coup in Sudan, uh, Sudan. The government was overthrown. But you got to look back 15 years and see that the, the destabilization in Sudan has been ongoing, and the United States has been behind it. Uh, you know, the whole break off of South Sudan. Remember, uh, save Darfur. That was all a joke. That was that was all a that was all a regime change operation because. The part that the U.S. broke away from the main part of Sudan is the one that had all the oil and stuff. So we go there, we overthrow governments, we take their stuff, we bomb them, we irritate everyone, and we wonder why things don't work out well when the Chinese go in and they make some hard uh, business bargains and they make some money. So, yeah, we're there. We have AFRICOM, the Africa Command, in charge of going into Africa. And in fact, uh, Secretary of State Blinken just finished uh, his first tour, uh, maybe he's still there, who knows, maybe he'll stay, that'd be nice. But his first tour of Africa, and he's going around to all the quote, hot spots. And of course, we have our finger in all of those pies, just causing more problems. Uh, and certainly not, certainly not doing any good over there. So yeah, got a lot of troops there. And the whole system is based on keeping them there and keeping them busy. And, you know, it's, uh, it's not going to work out very well. And we always hear, you know, well, if the U.S. wasn't there, Africa, in Asia, in the Middle East, and and everywhere else around the world, well, China will fill the vacuum. And my first reaction is always, good, let them waste their <laughs> money for for it. I mean, they seem too smart, as you said. They're they're too smart to be going around blowing things up. They'd rather make a deal, uh, almost like a capitalist, and uh, although it's state directed capitalism and do some business. And, uh, you know, that's another one where I just, I don't understand how the American people don't see that for what it is. And I want to talk about the the Cold War on China that they're trying to drum up in a second too. But, you know, the other thing that you mentioned earlier that it just puts a thought in my head, do you think the fact that we are protected here by two oceans and we don't have wars on our soil somewhat desensitizes the public to what the reality of war is. I mean, I know you were a war correspondent. You were over there. Do people here just not realize what it's like to have houses in your neighborhood blown up or, or your own house blown up? 
That is such a great point, Tom, and that is so important. That's why Americans do embrace these interventions, right? These surgical strikes, because they never see the reality, the aftermath of what happens. You know, and I, I did I did spend a lot of time in the Balkans, and I'll never forget one day I was walking through Vukovar after after the horrible, horrible fighting and violence there. This is in uh, uh, in the former Yugoslavia. And we walked along with some local people. The, the, it, was, it, it was a beautiful Habsburgian town in the old days. And it was really reduced to rubble and people were living in a hard scrabble way. Uh, and of course, all of this war was fomented by the US with the assistance of the Germans. They wanted to break up Yugoslavia. But you talk to the people and they said, I had no idea my neighbor was a Serb or a Croat or a Catholic or an Orthodox or a Muslim. Dude, we just didn't live that way. That wasn't part of our lives. But it wasn't until the U.S. went in and stirred something up and ruined the country. And I guarantee if you and I somehow had the power of transport and we transported ourselves to Vukovar, probably 20 or so, 25 years since I've been there, it would look just as bad as it was then. If you look at Ukraine after it was liberated from the Maidan by the Maidan people, it's way worse than it was. So the fact that we never see the consequences of our hyper-aggressive interventionist foreign policy, I think it does encourage people because it's it's risk-free. It's risk-free to embrace this, but it is it is at the height of immorality uh, to 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 participate in the destruction of other nations. And you know maybe there is some ultimate justice, and it'll come back uh, to the people who support it. But it's it is a very unfortunate component of the fact, also Tom, that most Americans don't travel. They don't go overseas. Of course, now we can't because you got to get 8,000 shots in your body to go. <laughs> but but they don't travel. So they don't know that, you know, oh, my gosh, the Iranians just can't wait to be just like us. Well, they don't want to be like us. And that's fine. You know, that's that's a libertarian tenet. You know, ain't nobody's business if you do. You know, as long as you're not over here, you know, you know, bombing us, live how you want. It's up to you. And getting back to the, the money part of it and and China, if I wanted to take the most cynical view of the neoconservatives, that that might be the most accurate, but I don't know. I would say that they love when we're over beating up on some country that could not possibly fight back very much. And then we're in a standoff. It used to be with the Soviets. You know, we're, I don't think they want to go to war with China, but they just love to have a cold war where we're constantly upping the military spending ramping up fear and that makes a lot of money flow. Do you think there's anything to that or am I just being a conspiracy theorist? No, that's a great point. And, and I think you made the point earlier about us libertarians. We look at the at conservatives and liberals and you know we see that there's not a lot of difference because you know what we're talking about with the conservatives, and I don't even know it's not even just neocons. It's it's just quote, I mean just conservatives across the board. They are at the same way toward China as the liberals did toward Russia with the whole Russiagate garbage. You know, you can't go on Twitter or follow one of these, you know, conserv big conservative, I don't know, Shapiro, any of these guys. You can't go on any one of their Twitter feeds without, you know, they're influenced by the Chicoms. They're being paid by the Chicoms, this and that and the other. And it's the mirror image of what the liberals did. And it's just all about having an enemy out there. And that's why, you know, the pox on both of their houses. Yeah, they say, well, China's ramping up its military capabilities. And when you go look at the numbers, it's like, yeah, they spent 
160 billion last year and and this year they spent 166 or or is it meanwhile <laughs> we spent 700 billion last year and we're we're piling 20 30 more on top of that plus all the money we hide in places like the department of energy that's really uh, so-called defense spending as well so I mean, is there anything to them being more aggressive and looking to go outside their borders or in your estimation, no? Well, maybe if we'd stop sailing carrier groups to the South China Sea, they could back off a little bit. You know, it's it's so funny. You know, it, it really is literally like you go up to someone and you punch them in the nose and they punch you back and say, this is aggression. You know, <laughs> we're we're sending warships to the South China Sea right next door to China. And we say, oh, well, they don't have the right to those islands. Who cares? You're building, you're, you're putting some sand in the ocean and calling it your island. Go for it. Enjoy yourselves. You know, and are they going to stop selling us stuff? No, of course not. You know, their economy is already, you know, just as distorted as ours is. So, you know, if the Chinese were over here in the Gulf of Mexico off of, you know, just, just down the way we live close to the beach, if they were over here doing war games in our backyard, it would be one thing we'd have to say, well, this is, you know, this is something, but they don't do that. They're just sick of us going over there with our ships, you know, uh, trying to turn their neighbors against them. Hey, Philippines, you know, you got to sign on to this anti-China thing. It's just dumb. There's no reason for it. It doesn't serve any purpose except to keep our own war machine and, and the people that get rich off of it, getting richer and richer at the expense of working people in the U.S., of middle class, of shrinking middle class in the U.S., you know, and he, here's a flag. Wave it. It's such a it's such a shame. To, you know, I just wish more Americans could see how they're getting ripped off by these scumbags in Washington. You know, that's the mission of my life to convince middle America. You know, when you support our foreign policy, you're basically supporting these scumbags picking your pocket. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you can get pretty depressed when you start getting deeper and deeper into this. I'm old enough to remember I was in my 20s when the Berlin Wall came down, and I wasn't particularly political. I didn't even discover the word libertarian until uh, somewhere around 2000, believe it or not. But I was very aware that this is a big deal, that the Cold War was ending by 1981. And my just general impression was we're blowing it. Aren't we supposed to be friends with them now? And we just seem to provoke them at every turn. Um, I didn't understand it as well as I do now, thanks to you know, the work that uh, Ron Paul and your institute has done. But I, I had a general sense that this is a ripoff. And uh, of course, then, you know, when the Iraq war started, you know, the people pouring the French wine in, in the streets and the and the, the freedom fries and all that <laughs> stuff. I mean, it was just so depressing. And I just wanted to grab people and shake them and say, how can you believe that? How could you go along with this? It really is going to take regular folks to just wake up and stop supporting this or it's going to go on forever. Yeah, exactly. You know, I moved to Budapest, Hungary, uh, just a couple of years after the wall fell. And it wasn't long after that, that I, that you see a steady stream of the uh, lobbyists from the defense and just the military industry coming around to the governments in, in Hungary. Hey, want to buy some F-16s? Hey, want to buy some F-15s? And the funny thing is the F-15 is a two-engine jet. Hungary is a pretty small country now that it was you know, cut up after World War I. The F-15 wouldn't even get up to speed and it would be out of <laughs> Hungarian airspace. It's totally useless. 
But these 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 pimps, I mean, these 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 dealers were coming in through town and they were throwing a lot of money around. And at the time, the renamed Communist Party had just won the election, the second uh, free election there. And they were passing tons of money around. And I guess that's kind of where I grew up in a way, you know, politically and intellectually, because I'm thinking, what's going on? Why are we funding the commies? Something is not right here. And then I, I eventually realized it's not about ideology. It's about the almighty dollar and the corrupt system that we have in the U.S. So that's that's what happened. And that's how it happened. And that's why we never got a peace dividend, because, you know, uh, peace is, is not profitable for those people. Well, we have to wake up. And I did attend your conference put on by the Ron Paul Institute called The War on Us. And maybe that's what it's going to take, because. A lot of us were warning back when the Patriot Act was passed and the Military Commissions Act of 2006, you know, someday they're going to use this on us. And of course, everybody called us cuckoo and, you know, get out your mm-hmm. tinfoil hat. Well, here it is, the, the fake insurrection, <laughs> the, uh, yep. the uh, event that happened January 6th, and they are turning all those tools inward on at least some people in the U.S. that they perceive to be their political enemies. Yeah, four years in prison for a dopey guy who wore a buffalo horn and walked into the Capitol building, you know, four years in prison. Uh, it's just incredible. But, you know, the Patriot Act, yeah, because remember that the uh, school the school board association wrote to, Mer- uh, to Merrick Garland and said, hey, you need to look at these parents as potential terrorists. You can use the Patriot Act to do it, wink, wink. So, yes, it's explicitly being used against us and yeah, it is the war on us, and we have to wake up and realize, obviously, the response on our part is not violence, because that's exactly what they do want. But the first response is to wake up and take a look at the field, you know, assess the battlefield, and look how we can intelligently respond to it. Well, Daniel, I really appreciate you being on. Um, I don't want to keep you all day. What's next for the Ron Paul Institute and the Liberty Report? Well, we're we're thank God we're back to doing our conferences. I'm really glad you're with us in DC. We're going to do an event uh, uh, here in Houston, probably in the spring, and another in DC. And we're launching some new projects. It's just as as angry as we are that they're still holding on to this, uh, you know, a lot of these restrictions. We're grateful in a way. I mean, maybe it's uh, Stockholm syndrome, right? But we're grateful that we can get people together, uh, and we're going to keep doing that. The response has been has been great. We sold out our conferences almost immediately. Um, so there's a lot of demand and we want to meet that demand. And we're thrilled and we're happy that, you know, the Ron Paul movement continues. It, 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 it's, it's not as obvious as it was during the campaign, but it continues and it continues to grow. So we're grateful to everyone who watches the show, who supports the Institute, uh, you know, and, and tells a friend about it. So, uh, you know, I feel pretty optimistic in that respect. I was very optimistic that I was very obviously an old geezer at your event because there were so many young people. Dr. Paul's always been able to reach those people. And I think uh, that's the best of idealism to believe in freedom and peace. You know, you guys are doing a great job. I'll link to the uh, Ron Paul Institute homepage and the Liberty Report. Daniel, thanks so much for being with me today. Thanks, Tom. It's been great. Okay, friends, that's going to do it for today. Don't forget to get a free copy of my new ebook, An Anti-State Christmas, at antistatechristmas.com. Of course, if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you normally listen, 
And please do go to the Tom Mullen Talks Freedom website at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and leave a review. And if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.